the Resilient Cyber Podcast brings you conversations from diverse cybersecurity professionals, ranging from executives, subject matter experts, and aspiring entrants. Today's diverse threat landscape requires systems that can withstand a variety of cyber incidents, remaining trustworthy and secure. As always, we want to give a special shout out to our season two sponsor, Accurix. That's A-C-C-U-R-I-C-S. Accurix is a infrastructure as code security company, which helps codify security for your cloud native infrastructure by codifying security throughout the development lifecycle. They also manage the popular open source IAC project, TerraScan. Visit them at Accurix.com for more. Thank you for joining us on the Resilient Cyber Podcast. My name is Chris Hughes, along with my co-host, Dr. Nikki Robinson. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Dr. Naji May. Naji, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're really excited to chat with you. For folks that don't know you or your background, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Sure. So I have about over 15 years of experience in IT and security management in the commercial and health industries, uh, federal, state, and local governments. I hold uh, several degrees in information security management and project management. I received my Doctor of Science degree from Capital Technology University. My doctoral dissertation was on drone forensics framework. I also went to uh, Johns Hopkins for my MBA and a master's in information and telecommunication systems and a bachelor's in information systems concentrating in digital forensics. I am by day uh, a project manager and I'm very passionate about learning, team building, and problem solving. Yeah, so I uh, I had the pleasure to meet Naji when we were doing the DSC together. And we had this like friendly competition, I would say, throughout the program where we were like, okay, we're going to finish like at the same time. And yeah, so we got to, I got to see some of, you know, the research that you were working on, the things you were doing and really wanted to talk to you about that because I think not a lot of people are talking about this. And it's like, it's, it's an area that we need to, to sort of delve into. So if you could tell us a little bit more about your dissertation and sort of what inspired you to research this and, and sort of why you felt like there was maybe this gap in the literature. Yeah, sure. There, there was no competition. You were way ahead of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to you know, catch up with, with you. So th- this is a very exciting topic for me. I've noticed that there have been a lot of talks about drones in recent years. I started reading articles about the various applications of drones, which led me to think about how forensics would apply to drones. I started to ask myself, uh, what does drone forensics even entail? I found that uh, one question led to another. It it started to get very interesting at that point because there's just so much um, information about drones, but then there was also limited information about drone forensics. So I needed to find out more. Um, the challenge was uh, keeping focused when, when there were so many areas that, that you can use a drone for and I, I really had to think about what my main goal was for the, for the research. So it, it came down to drone forensics, which it's a combination of digital forensics and aircraft accident investigation procedures. And um, digital forensics is, you know, you, I looked further into it. It's more uh, like computer and network and mobile forensics. So there are so many different forensics discipline in, in uh, drone forensics. So that led me down way to like a lot of different paths. And then also when you're doing an investigation or examination on drones, what rules do you follow? Is there federal regulations, uh, standards and guidelines? So I had to 
uh, look into that too, because that was very interesting as well. So it started with an internal interest and then it expanded to a broader research that could uh, serve the, the research, the forensic community. After seizing a suspicious drone, the data is extracted and what, what can you do with it? And how, how do you keep the chain of custody so that uh, evidence that you collect can be admissible in court? Yeah, it's actually a super fascinating topic to me because it's like such an uncharted area. You know, it's it's still so uh, new and, and evolving. You know, a lot of that stuff isn't established yet. So you've had an opportunity to kind of contribute to like an early body of work in many ways. I know you mentioned you got your doctorate in where your focus was UAV systems forensics framework. My background is largely with DOD, and we're seeing an increasing like a push for UAV and drone usage, for example. Are there any major security concerns, you know, that the community would like to keep in mind as they embrace these technologies? Yeah. Um, so from the government community perspective, there are uh, several security concerns. Most importantly, the, the top concern is public safety. And, and then secondly, the uh, invasion of privacy. So small recreational drones can fly without a remote pilot license. So a lot of the, the pilots do not know the rules. So they, they get a drone and they start flying it. And, and it could be, it could be used for fun, but then, you know, it, it could also be used for commercial. So the incorrect use of drones might result in dangerous and life-threatening accidents. A, a licensed or unlicensed pilot can be a clueless drone operator, unknowingly fly an aircraft into a restricted area, can also be a careless drone operator with an understanding of the regulations, but still operate recklessly. Or or the operator can be a, um, a criminal drone operator posing a malicious threat to public safety. So that so those um, so those concerns, you know, would, would apply to the community and, and addressing how, how drones are used and, and if if they find a drone in unauthorized areas, what would they do with it, right? So there's there's so many different things like invasion of privacy. It, there's been records of drones at paparazzi, you know, that paparazzis use, and they would attain footage of celebrities for the sake of a profit. So they can capture like images or videos, and they can sell it, right, for a lot of money. And then in another instance, uh, sports fans can use a drone to uh, view football practice before the game. Um, there, there is a, a lot of usage for drones in like commercial, personal use and, and criminal use. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like um, with any technology, there's so many like opportunities to do great things with it, but there's also so many opportunities to do bad things with it too. And people always tend to find both ways. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's um. Well, it's interesting to me too to hear you sort of talk about like the rabbit hole that you can kind of go into with this research because, like, I found the same thing. Right, you start to research one thing and then you're like, oh no, we're missing this and we're missing this too. And so I'm curious as you were sort of doing this research and and sort of seeing where the gaps were. Do you feel like there's a need to create more comprehensive policies, frameworks, guidelines around drone usage and drone forensics? Absolutely, more, more than ever, because as you may you may have noticed, like there's a lot of articles about drones, and then just hearing about it, right? So the the study I did was conducted in 2019, but it's still very relevant today, right? So you're just it's just only increasing in um, drone application usage. So as Consumer drones are used by public. Like there's more reports released by on by uh, the FAA on the on authorized drone operations, which could be like intrusions at uh, government facilities and private events that I had just mentioned. 
Um, so the FAA began publishing reports in uh, November 2014 on sightings of unauthorized drone usage in the U.S., which includes Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. So by um, May 2015, the drone sightings had averaged over 100 uh, per month. The number just keeps going up. But then 2020, the, the sightings uh, went down a little bit because of you know isolation. But last year, it, it began to climb back up again. So it went up to like 2,585, which is an average of 200 sightings per month. So it's, it's only increasing. And, and we really need to have um, a forensics framework to, you know, to process um, unauthorized drone usage. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, with any technology, there's always like a lag between like the introduction of it to society, you know, in different communities and then like, you know, regulations and compliance and frameworks and such to catch up to it. And that's kind of nature, the nature of things. Uh, but I definitely think this warrants, you know, given the all the abuse cases you could have, this warrants, you know, definitely some regulation and such. I also noticed in addition to like your massive different, you know, technical background and expertise that you have, you have an MBA as well. Has the business context helped you in the various roles that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. The, my background in business helped me with, in various roles I've been in. So it, it enabled me to speak in business terms with leadership about technology. Uh, it also helped me learn to learn to align IT objectives with business objective goals and uh, justify the need for cybersecurity projects you know, so we can protect the organization. Uh, it helped me translate um, business requirements into technology requirements also helped with writing, you know, charters and scope statements for for technical initiatives, and and then and it's it's great for for budgeting and forecasting uh, and see what we have like remaining on projects. So there's a variety of usage that that I find it helpful. You know, I think it's one of those things that we've talked about with a number of guests, which is sort of this this need and this like gap to understand the business, especially from the cybersecurity side. It's like we have to be able to talk to the business side and make sure that we are aligning with strategy and making sure that we're aligning with other teams in the organization. So I think that the the business background is like so needed in the cybersecurity space for sure. So to to take it back a little bit to frameworks and because I'm curious just from in industry space, you know, we talk about DFIR, digital forensics and incident response. We're starting to talk about them sort of in combination because, you know, you want to preserve the evidence, you want to collect the evidence, but you also want to be able to respond quickly. So those two sort of goals have to align to be able to, you know, sort of meet both objectives. So I'm curious if you feel like with with drones and sort of uh, the sort of the gaps and frameworks and the need for more uh, guidelines, do you think that we also need some incident response procedures and frameworks to kind of go along with that? Yes, I, I do. I um, there there is a need for for framework or at least a minimum a checklist and and the contact information for escalation. Um, so, like after first responders retrieve an un, unauthorized drone, they have to handle the drone with with the chain of custody in mind. So, like where, where to report the sighting? How do they go about it? Because you know, state state laws different from uh, federal law and different from local laws. So each state, um, you know, they have their own regulations and procedures, but the incident still needs to be reported to the FAA, um, to their regional operations um, center electronically. So how, how would they go about doing that, right? And and it, it requires some training and awareness. So it's starting with a, a simple checklist and a contact list. Uh, that, that would be the, the very basic for first responders. 
Yeah, that makes sense. It needs some like standardized standardized process, but with some nuance around the technologies involved. So I think you're right on point there. Another thing I was curious about is I know you're involved in a lot of nonprofit and volunteering groups. I noted like on your profile, you're involved with ISSA, you know, Crypto Kids and many more. You know, why do you feel it's important to stay involved in these kind of groups and how do you think it helps the broader cyber community? I, I like to be involved in local communities anyway, and uh, especially cyber communities. So spreading the knowledge uh, from the research to to the different audiences in this in in the community. It doesn't necessarily have to be cyber. It could be you know kids. It could be kids in focus on technology or, or kids in general who, who who would receive a drone for Christmas or or how you know other holidays or or their birthday. How would they go about flying that drone and knowing all these rules and regulations because you know, they they may not know. So I, I just enjoy giving back to the community and devoting my time and knowledge to help others understand the, impo- the importance of cybersecurity and also to, to further the research so you know, others can build on it. If I start a conversation and say, hey, you know, have, you, have you seen all the drones around? You know, do, do you know what's involved with flying one? And so maybe that would spark interest you know, from, from, for them. And even if it's not in drone forensics, maybe it's in other disciplines. It's just spreading knowledge. Yeah, I think, uh, well, you and I, you actually encouraged me to join InfraGuard because you have a lot of great community uh, with ISSA, ISSA, and and with InfraGuard as well. And so I, I was curious from the sort of nonprofit and volunteer work, if you felt like maybe there was more need for this because it sounds like there probably aren't a lot of other people that are like, Hey, um, getting involved with like groups with, excuse me, with cybersecurity with, um, you know, younger, younger kids. Uh, do you feel like maybe we need some more focus on that? Cause as you said that I was like, Oh man, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I hear a lot about kids getting like education and drone security and privacy. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, additional knowledge would help. Uh, when I was doing the research, there was not a lot of uh, forensics professionals who, who you know, came forward on, on my, my uh, research, on my study. And, and um, there, there's a limited amount of professionals in that discipline. So we, we want to get more, more people involved in this, more, you know, from, from kids to high schoolers to, to you know, regular, to like IT professionals who wants to, to look more into drone forensics. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it sounds to me like we definitely have a, a a gap there and a need to need to fill that for sure. So based on the the study that you've done, the research that you've done, and and sort of your your um, knowledge in this area, where do you sort of see the future of drones usage, but also sort of the privacy security guidelines and frameworks that are going to sort of dictate, you know, how, how they are managed and, and, and looked at within the industry. Yeah. So I, I feel like my study was, a, was serve as a starting point for drone forensics framework for the community. Uh, there, there are many opportunities to build upon the study and um, because drone applications continue to expand and the, the, the community is faced with the, the beginning of a small industry a uh, small drone industry and, and the lack of a standard framework. So th- there's there will there, w- there will be a need for additional research because what I what I study where my my research was it's it's a very basic beginning right. So so there, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to build on on that. So recommendation for future research would uh, also be uh, applicable to to like land and sea unmanned vehicles and and the framework for uh, drone forensics could be tailored 
for the processes for land and sea, you know, unmanned vehicles as well. Yeah, that's, I think you bring up an interesting point there that this is sort of like really just the beginning, because it sounds like we are missing a lot of the sort of the backbone foundational research in this area. So are you hoping that, are you hoping that there are any other like organizations or groups that will sort of pick up this research and try to to bring it up? I mean, do you see like on the commercial side versus like the DOD and, and other organizations, but do you sort of see a need for the public to get more of this information too? Yeah, I do see a need, uh, especially with the NIST and, um, <laughs> and ISO, you know, so, so that, you know, they, they, I hope that they can, you know, build on, on my research, but I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think that they're going to find my research out there and say, Oh, we're going to build on it. But in case they do, I would love to, you know, be, be able to contribute to, to additional uh, researches that they do and frameworks that they come up with, you know, for standards. Yeah, that's uh, super interesting. I think there's a lot of room for for industry standards, you know, more research. And uh, I like the aspect about, you know, children and like not children, but like youth getting uh, familiar, familiarized with best practices and abuse concerns and privacy concerns around drones, because like it's obviously an awesome technology. That's why they use by younger folks as well, right? Because it's really exciting and it's cool to use and uh, play around with. So that was really great, great insight. So I'm curious with your unique perspective, you know, with the way things are going with technology and the use of drones and in and, and society, um, what does the term uh, cyber resiliency mean to you? So cyber resilience to me is about preparedness and the ability to systematically and proactively manage and respond to adverse cyber events. So in the field of drones and research, um, having that systematic approach will uh, reduce errors in collecting evidence and producing accurate findings. The need for a standard framework because investors, so the investigators can conduct investigations to provide an accurate assessment in a time-sensitive and um, environment of court admissibility. So, you know, the, the drone forensics community and standards organizations could increase cyber resiliency by creating a standard drone forensics framework to minimize investigation errors and improve evidence admissibility in the U.S. courts. Yeah, I think that's uh, is really awesome advice, and uh, I, I'm really curious to see how this area continues to evolve and like what kind of uh, regulations we'll see come to play. Uh, so with that said, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your expertise in this uh, really interesting area. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody.